some strength training is good. They don't have to go into the gym, you know, two or three days a week for like 90 minute sessions and like deadlift and squat. But can we get them doing some bodyweight stuff to start? Welcome back to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. Here we talk about pain, rehab, performance, and education. If you have questions about the nuance that we dive into, please reach out to us. We would love to talk to you about it. Apart from that, we hope you guys enjoyed today's episode, and we hope everyone stays safe and is staying healthy. All right, guys, welcome back. Um, this is Max. I'm here with Dr. Dan DiGidio. Nailed it. That, that, was, that, that was correct, yeah. Um, and Dr. Dan is... Uh, He's the significant other of Dr. Nisha Meyer, who you guys know. Um, they both graduated from Temple for DPT school. Uh, Dan's kind of specialty or expertise is sports and orthopedics, but also kind of diving a little bit deeper into the um, aerobic conditioning realm, specifically for runners. Uh, so he's going to share some valuable information on uh, somewhat of how to blend running or just aerobic things in general with strength conditioning or blending strength conditioning with running and aerobic things. So kind of the, the relationship there. Um, before we dive into that, give the folks listening a little bit more kind of background just on you, how you got into the profession, schooling, all that stuff. Yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely non-traditional uh, by nature. Um, I started out, uh, you know, working at a CrossFit gym uh, and then doing construction. That's where I really found my passion for PT. Um, so after, you know, some del- deliberation and, and considering what I was going to do with my career path, I started taking night classes uh, at Delaware County Community College to knock out some prereqs. Um, and it was, a, it was a long journey to go to get to Temple to get my kinesiology degree. Uh, and then diving into, you know, their doctor of physical therapy program, which was a lot of work to get into. And then um, while I was there, I got the opportunity to work out with the uh, work with the ROTC cadets uh, in their training for the Ranger Games. So it's essentially like, uh, you know, military training, like competition that they do for like three days where they're doing like land navigation, um, different, you know, teamwork drills. And in doing that, I got to see a lot of like overuse injuries through a lot of the training, which involved a lot of running. And that's kind of what really, really spiked my interest in, in working with, you know, more of an endurance type of population. Um, and then I finished up with uh, Temple with my, my research project, which was, you know, like a lit review on all the research for strength training for runners, a lot of performance-based stuff, and then a little bit of injury, uh, risk reduction type of stuff, but more so performance. And so you started out, you personally, like in your own athletic endeavors, did you start out early on kind of in the running sphere or were you doing more of the CrossFit style stuff and then you've adapted your own training? It was more of the CrossFit stuff. I was always a terrible athlete. Um, like I was never athletic in high school or anything. Uh, but when I found CrossFit, that was kind of like like what I, I, I chase as my physical pursuit. Um, so it was a lot of, it was a lot of CrossFit stuff and I, I, I did fall in love with some of the strength training stuff. There was things that I was doing before CrossFit that was just like, I don't know, I was just doing random workouts. I had really no kind of purpose or goals. And then when I found CrossFit, I became more goal oriented. Um, and I learned a lot through just coaching athletes through CrossFit, uh, but I never felt like it was enough. So, um, you know, I 
you know, dive deeper down in the rabbit hole. And obviously, you know, with physical therapy school, I kind of found like that niche and that was running. And I, I was always kind of like a, I always found running kind of meditative. I would go out, um, but I always liked strength training too. So it was definitely the enjoyment of both of those things and not necessarily doing one separate from the other, but kind of blending them together that really, uh, I guess, fostered my my interest in them. So have you done any, have you like competed in any CrossFit competitions or done any longer runs like marathon, half marathon type stuff? Yeah, up to, up to around the half marathon range. Like we did, we did, uh, I got into Broad Street, obviously it was virtual last year. I'm, I'm hoping to do it again. Um, never a marathon, but I'm, I'm considering that down the line maybe. Uh, I enjoy more of like the, 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 the middle distances, mm. um, but I've always had a fascination with, with like ultra marathon runners and I like read a lot of stuff on that, but I'm always like, ah, I don't know if I'll ever dive into it myself. I would like to work with that population, but I always kind of feel that if I can kind of go and do it myself, then I can learn a lot more about their needs. And then that's when I'd probably dive into treating them. But yeah, uh, nothing too significant in terms of CrossFit competitions. Like I was never good enough. I don't think my Fran ever got below eight minutes. <laughs> No shame in that, man. That CrossFit's something that if you're going to compete in it, and obviously you can do like unsanctioned just gym competitions that they do that are scalable for everyone. But right. if you're really going to compete in a sanctioned meet or, or just in a, you know, something that is regional or somewhat more competitive, like it just gets pretty ridiculous pretty quick in terms of what you have to be able to do. Yeah. Even just from a strength, typically it's the Olympic lifting piece that – once it gets full Olympic lifts and you're having to, you know, do a ladder that goes up to <clears throat> weights that like you have to be a pretty damn proficient Olympic lifter at those levels and be able to obviously do all the other stuff. So I was just curious if you had done any any more like local or gym based meets. Or- no, I was at CrossFit Delaware Valley and we definitely did all of like the, you know, um, like the unsanctioned gym stuff. Uh, but, yeah, no, you're right. I the Olympic lifts in and of themselves, they're so, you have to be so technically proficient that throwing them into like a more of a conditioning circuit it is difficult. And that's where I think I saw a lot of injuries because people just didn't have the capacity. They didn't have the technical proficiency, one. And then two, they didn't have, you know, the, the capacity to handle something like that in a workout. So that was always why I was interested in like injury risk reduction. Like how do we get people, you know, healthier and stronger um, to be able to handle some of these things? And and, you know, that's that's what drove me down that, that physical therapy rabbit hole. Yeah. So running tends to be kind of more your your competitive interest. Absolutely. And and same thing. You, you have a lot of people that go out there and they run and they just think that running is simply, you know, just get one foot out in front of the other. But they forget that it is a low-level plyometric activity that is repetitive in nature. And if you just go out the door just expecting to run five miles, I don't know, more, you know, more than five days a week, that – you know, when an injury does come up, you know, you shouldn't be too surprised. Um, but, you know, I want to make sure that people get the right advice as opposed to some of the advice that they probably get from, like, popular running magazines and, and whatnot. So CrossFit tends to be one of the one of the only – I mean, I don't want to say the only, but it's one of the main sports or activities where people are – obviously, you have other sports like football, soccer – team sports, field sports, where people obviously do blend strength conditioning with running, yep. right? But they're really the, the focus of their activity isn't gym training. It's mm-hmm. their sport. 
the gym training supplements that. Mm-hmm. CrossFit, both the gym and the running piece are the sport. Um, and so obviously the focus is split much more evenly for a lot of those folks. Um, what are some of the common mistakes you see people make whenever they go into a CrossFit gym or they just start trying to blend some of their either strength training that they've been doing with running or the running they've been doing with strength training? I think, so you're, you're saying from like a, like a CrossFit standpoint or from like more of a, just a, a general, like it's just more general. Like if someone is wanting to blend the two, what are some of the common mistakes you'd see? I, I think that probably the first one is, um, not having like clear cut goals. So you can obviously it's, so I always think it's, it's difficult to serve two masters. So if you go into it expecting to become the strongest and the most, you know, physically enduring. So, you know, improve your endurance to do both of them really well, um, is going to be difficult. However, if you go into like a, let's say a training block and you're like, ah, well, I want to improve my strength. Well, focus on that first and put some of your endurance aerobic stuff on maintenance mode. Like, I don't believe that you have to do, you know, if you're going to go through periodization, I don't think you have to do like typical block where you just focus on one attribute and that's it. I think concurrence probably better. So, but you would just, you know, on the aerobic end, if you want to get stronger, you know, you just decrease some of your aerobic stuff and you focus on strength. I think so many people just go in there and they're like, I want to be the best runner and I'm going to be the best strength athlete. I'm guilty of that too. And then what comes out of it, you usually have more aches and pains and, you know, not as great fitness adaptations because of it. So that would be number one. Um, And then number two is just people going out of the gate, you know, swinging right or or comparing themselves to what they used to be able to do. Uh, And I think that's problematic in and of itself. Yeah. And so if you have someone who you mentioned, obviously keeping the periodization a little bit more concurrent, so training some degree of both at the same time, but having one play a bigger role than the other, um, Obviously, that means that you're not going to go into a block where it's 100% strength training or 100% running. Right. But what would that level of dedication to one attribute look like compared to the other? Like, are we talking 90-10 sometimes, 60-40? What are we looking at in terms of, and and this may depend on the person's goals and how much more important one attribute is from the other. But what's your thought process in terms of how much running do you need to do if strength is the goal for now or how much strength do you need to do if running is the goal for now yeah i think that's one of the ones that kind of depends but i think a good a good guideline to go off of is like if you are a runner right you're going to want to spend probably about 80 percent of the time doing that if you want to get better at it right so uh so 20 percent spent strength training so like that could be like you know two two sessions a week of of strength focused work and the rest being running now if you want to you know let's say you're not there's like right now there's no real races going on or at least there's not it doesn't seem like there's anything in the future guaranteed yeah um it probably you could probably push it for like more of like a 70 30 60 40 type of split where you're maybe you're doing a few more strength training sessions a week but you are pulling back on that running um and again it's going to depend on their goals like yeah i don't know too many runners who are like oh i want to hypertrophy and like you know build a bigger upper body just Such because a shame. that <laughs> Well, I honestly do think that like there's there's no harm in in you know having more more strength focused. You know, I think it's from an athletic development standpoint, and and I think that's just it's probably you know maybe a good thing to do. Um, however, you know, you have some of those elite runners who they're, they're just going to they're just going to mainly run. It's harder to get them to strength train even at all. 
but it really does depend on what that person wants in that in that training block and i don't think there's any harm in bumping the strength up if that's really what they want yeah and i mean you i feel like you look at guys and i i I very very minimally am involved in the the ultra marathon world i just follow some people on instagram i don't believe that one second the most (laughs) (laughs) i just follow the most famous people basically but you look at guys like david goggins or cam haynes who are two of the the folks that a lot of people will know and they're pretty jacked. Like they're they not, are. They are. They're not in the in a position where they're Nick they're Bear. thinking to themselves, "I have to I have to stay as lean as humanly possible, so I'm light and I'm agile." And and that's just not really the case. And there are good examples of individuals who are showing that you can actually carry some muscle and still run these ultra marathons. Obviously, at that point, I'd almost I would anticipate that maybe it matters less at that point because. I, I would be curious to see if I had a uh, crystal ball what percentage of ultramarathon success truly comes from physical preparation versus mental. Mm. I, I don't know what that looks like. Right. I feel like the mental component mm. is probably a larger piece of the pie for an ultramarathoner than for a regular marathoner. Yeah. And so maybe a regular marathon competitor tends to be a little leaner because the physical preparation or the physical structure matters a little bit more mm-hmm. than for an ultra marathoner that's a complete guess or a complete hypothesis i have no idea and then you look at obviously the other end of the spectrum with sprinters who are just all like ridiculously jacked yeah um, i know it's, yeah <laughs> and yeah it's just crazy but if you have someone so you mentioned obviously the percentage that you're going to split if you have concurrent goals of being a little stronger versus uh, being a little faster or whichever one's more important. But what if you only care about running? Like you have zero interest. Your goal is zero for strength. Uh, It's 100% running. But you have, uh, you can kind of give your spiel in terms of why you think that they should strength train. But then what's the percentage look like for them in terms of dedicating time? Right. No, so that's definitely more difficult because you know, when you do get the, the, those type of people, those type of runners, they don't—they literally don't care about any of the strength training. So it's like, well, first of all, how do we how do we try to convince them that some strength training is good? They don't have to go into the gym, you know, two or three days a week for like ninety-minute sessions and like deadlift and squat. But can we get them doing some bodyweight stuff to start? Just because I think that would be beneficial as a starting point. Um, so I, I I always like I think that twenty eighty split is is going to be. He's going to be pretty damn good, um, you know. But you know, if we can kind of show them some of the literature on like running economy, um, and just you know, uh, time trial distance improvements, and just show them, hey, you know, if we focus on this, maybe we become a little bit more athletic. Maybe we we you know we provide some axial loading to the skeleton that you're not really getting through you know just running by itself, but like you know increasing the strength of the muscles and the bones, um, and reducing our injury of potentially like a stress fracture down the line. Um, I think that that might be a, you know a good selling point. Again, though, the injury risk reduction stuff for specifically for runners, I think there there's you know some good research out there for. Uh, I think the, the Larson paper is probably the the one that's cited the most, and I don't know if people probably overuse it, but um, they didn't look at specifically runners. They looked at like military recruits and soccer players, um, but like you know, j- just just you know making inferences off of what we've seen in other sports. Like I think if we can sell that to runners i think that would greatly benefit them 
Yeah, and so what you know, the eighty twenty percentage breakdown is kind of conceptual, but yeah. what does that look like in terms of an actual microcycle? If you look at a week <clears throat> for someone who mostly cares about running, mm-hmm. they're like, All right, Doctor Dan said I should strength train. I'm willing to dedicate twenty percent of my training to strength, but is that twenty percent of your time, twenty percent of your effort? Um, what does that actually play out as in a, a weekly microcycle? We'll say for just your average kind of recreational runner who's maybe running some half marathons, thinking about running a full marathon, almost in the same situation as yeah. you. Um, what, what would a microcycle potentially look like? I, without busting out a calculator right now or anything, but I would probably do it based off of time. That's what I mean. That's what I've used so far. Um, so depending on how, like, if we like take their their typical training week or even break it down to like more of like a like a month to month basis and then we just see how much time are you spending running okay and then let's add in or let's fill in some strength work maybe we pull back some of the running you know stuff and we can even layer on like you know 20 to 30 minute strength sessions let's say after you know a, a monday and thursday run an easier run i would put it after an easier run i wouldn't put it after like a hard tempo session or something where they're they're running at a more, you know, uh, vigorous pace. Um, but yeah, I would, I would do it based off of a time, you know, time scale and then 20%, like now 20% of your time is going to be spent strength training and we'll just pull out some of the running. So now we're doing 80% of the running, whatever that was, that's going to look very different based off of the individual. Yeah. And so do you have any concerns about individuals who are, you know, they're say they're running eight hours a week, right? Eight hours of training dedicated to running per week. Mm -hmm. And you say, hey, I want to reduce injury risk. So we're going to turn this into (laughs) 80-20 by adding two hours of strength training a week. And now you're going to train 10 hours a week. Yeah. uh, But we'll hit the 80-20. Do you have any concerns initially upon introducing this into their training that you are going to just be adding an additional stress to someone who's already potentially at risk and you're wanting to minimize that risk? No, absolutely. I would, so I would, I would rather do it the opposite way, take some running out and then put some strength in. Now I'd want to do it on a, like a, like a small scale level to start just to show them like, Hey, because if you just take out running from a runner, who's just said to you, (laughs) I like running, I don't want to strength train and you just take out their running. They're going to be probably pretty pissed off. Um, at the same time, if you just add an extra layer of training on there, you've just increased their training load, you know, by a sick, significant percentage. And it's now you're, now you're, if they do get injured, it's going to be like, well, was it because I just, you know, added something on without them having the capacity to, to handle it? Um, so I'd rather kind of just somehow sneak in a little bit of strength training. I, you know, it could be, it could be doing like, you know, glute bridges and, and bodyweight squats, like just a 15 minute session, just to sneak it in there and then slowly build from there, you know, without, without completely taking something out or just adding something brand new in on top of what they're already doing. And so what is the ultimate, you know, you said like kind of slowly progressing from 15 minutes of glute bridges and and some of the bodyweight stuff. What are you ultimately trying to get to? Like, is it, is it enough to just have a pair of dumbbells at home and do your strength training with your 230 pound dumbbells? 
or are you going to need to progress all the way up to the point that you are deadlifting with a bar, back squatting? Like, what is the point where you hit the ceiling and you're saying, this is a sufficient, as far as we know, this is going to do what we are looking for it to do. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to continue on this route of, you know, making it more strength training. Right. Um, so it's going to be like, like you know, if you're, if you're doing bodyweight stuff, Let's say the person's not really good at the bodyweight squat or something like that. You know, they're gonna they're probably gonna get some strength gains out of it for a period of time, but eventually they're gonna have to load themselves up more. Whether that's putting a backpack, you know, holding it like almost like a goblet squat, or, or throwing it on their back, or picking up dumbbells, they're gonna have to eventually have some kind of external load to keep challenging themselves. And ideally, yes, I'd love to see everybody get a barbell on their back or in their hands, or even you know a trap bar, um, and that would be. The hope is that they would see some of the benefits of strength training and then be like, oh, you know, this I, I see why this is this is helpful. Like, I feel better overall. My times are still going, you know, I, don't, I was about to say up, down. <laughs> um, and I just feel healthier, you know, uh, and or more athletic. So, yeah, I would love to see everybody kind of slowly transition into, you know, a little bit more gym work. Um, doesn't have to be excessive, but it's going to be all about the buy-in there uh at the same time just you know you don't it doesn't have to be a barbell lift you know that's my bias speaking so i I don't want to like you know project onto the you know the the specific athlete because that's not going to be helpful but if i can get them like you know doing going through like a heavier dumbbell workout that's great too um even even you know pulling out some heavier resistance bands if they want to do some more like you know bandit work that's great as well it's just we need to know like we need to meet, you know, make sure that the, the, the dosage of strength training is enough to keep pushing adaptations. Because if we're just doing sets of 30, 40 bodyweight squats, yeah, you can probably get some strength endurance adaptations, but you're not going to get true strength adaptation. So we need to go a little bit heavier. So do you have to progressively overload your strength training, or can you get to a point where you are strong enough that you just kind of keep hitting mm-hmm. four sets of eight with – with you know 135 pound rdl or or whatever the case may be and you just cruise at that level or do you have to keep progressively overloading to get the benefit yeah i mean i think we we don't know where the ceiling is for strength training right we don't know like where like we know that increasing dosage is beneficial but we don't know where like that becomes you know uh you know minimum there's like a minimal return so I would say we, you know, progressive overload's got to be in there somewhere. It depends on where the training cycle is. So I think if we're in preseason or we're we're out from rate season, we can focus more on strength training. And then once we get into seat like into the season, two maybe even one strength training sessions just to maintain where we're at to keep it in. And then once that race season's up, you know, reevaluate how did it go. And then when we go back into like you know your typical off season training let's get back into you know gradual progressive overload um but yeah i don't think you need to like it doesn't need to be like starting strength you know you know mark rip you know three sets of five add add 10 pounds to your squat every week i don't think that's necessarily where we need to go do you think it's the the benefit of injury risk reduction do you think that comes from the strength or from the training that's a hard one because at one point, you're pulling back some running, so you're not doing as much running. So maybe that's it. Um, the other, the other thought is, you know, maybe 
the fact that we're we're providing additional axial load to like a back a barbell squat, uh, you know, we're creating stronger bones and stronger muscles. Maybe that's part of it too. Like we have better, you know, we're able to recruit more muscle fibers, exert more force to the ground, create stiffer tendons. Like is that is that reducing risk of injury? But it's it's really hard to say, and I'll, I'd be the first to say like I have no idea. So if you implemented say for someone with some experience yeah for you know in two parallel universes in one they implement strength training as part of their routine mm-hmm. and over the course of 8 weeks their injury risk is reduced and they do get stronger mm-hmm. over the course of the 8 weeks when you retest their one rep max yeah universe b <laughs> the person goes through the same thing they strength train but they don't actually get stronger at the end you retest their one rep maxes and they're the same as the beginning did the individual in universe b reduce their risk of injury as a result of the training that they did in addition to their running even though they didn't get stronger maybe they did i mean did they get injured like we (laughs) That's a it's, good. That's it's cr- really hard. To, it's really hard to know. Like you know, I mean, if they both didn't get injured, then <laughs> we're probably heading in a in a good direction. Uh, we need a, a prospective cohort study looking at a longer time frame in both those those universes. Yeah. So <laughs> I, what I'm getting at here is there has been some. I'd have to pull the study. There has been some ancillary evidence that uh, maybe it's not the strength yeah. that helps protect people maybe it's the, just the training yeah um and so there 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 may be just something about strength training independent of the adaptation you get from it okay that serves as the protective quality of it yeah and so that's where i, I get it maybe the some of the progressive overload stuff where how much does it matter if you actually get stronger versus you just engaging in yeah. strength training um, and I, I do wonder when I look at, you know, I look at guys like Cam Haynes or David Goggins and, you know, those guys who implement strength training with their running. And I do wonder, you know, from year to year, their running times are obviously decreasing as they're getting better. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how many of them are actually PRing on a regular basis on some of their strength work. Yeah. Right. Like, are those numbers actually increasing? And if they're not, are they still getting the benefit of reducing their risk of injury just from that training? Yeah. Um, and part of that may be, like you said, you know, are, is it just because you're running a little less to squeeze this in and you're just not getting some of the overuse stuff because you are doing a little less of the yeah. you know, repetitive motion? Um, I, I, I'd have to parse through some of that research enough to see if how they equate some of that stuff right um but yeah i always think it's an an interesting discussion because if the person has zero interest in getting stronger i don't know if we actually need them to get stronger or if we just need them to strength train which i know sounds weird to a lot of people because they're like well won't you get stronger if you strength train it's like well some of those adaptations are kind of hard to get you know you kind of have to force adaptations even for people who all they want to do is get stronger it's still not that simple and clear-cut on how to get stronger 
Um, so sometimes I wonder, you know, how much of that do we need to place emphasis on? Uh, so I was curious on your thoughts on that. Um, then like in terms of alluding to some of the, just the reduction in training volume, when you incorporate strength training as potentially protective of injury, do you do or recommend folks to do any like cross training where you say, Hey, you're, you're running eight hours a week. Let's try running six and swimming two or, and biking two. Is that something you also tend to recommend or more just the strength piece? I, I kind of consider, I mean, I guess when we think of like traditional cross training, we're thinking of like another aerobic activity that's not running. Um, I, I kind of look at strength training as another form of cross training. I think I like the strength training cause it's still, it's, you know, obviously running, there's an axial load with running, but you know, with strength training, especially like, you know, if we're putting a barbell on our back or something, there's that axial load going through the entire spine and pelvis. Um, so anything to in- increase bone strength where well, you're not probably going to get it as much with cycling and especially not with, with swimming, but at the same time, if the person likes those, those two modes of exercise, I think it really needs to be person dependent. I can't just say, Hey, you know, go hop in. Like I suck at swimming. So if somebody told me to hop in the pool, I'd be like, Hey, yeah, it's not going to happen, bro. Like I'm not doing that. Uh, so it depends on the person. If they say, Hey, I like cycling. I was like, okay, let's, let's throw some of those sessions in. And maybe, you know, like you said, if we compared somebody that's doing cross training with cycling to somebody who's doing strength training, let's say they both don't get injured. Is that because again, we changed up what they were doing and they're not doing that same repetitive thing. And we just reduced the running a little bit that I think that would be, I'd like to see some like more research, like more focused research in that area. Yeah. It's hard. Not at least a lot of what I've seen doesn't do a really good job of drawing causation for certain things because there just are, a lot of factors that are changing all at once in some of those studies and you know you're not getting a good idea of it. is this correlation or is this causation with some of that stuff yeah. um so I, yeah i think we have a long way to go on that end a lot of the studies too they look at like they'll look at like college runners and they'll implement strength training and, and like every paper that i've seen on it like I, nobody has a definition of what strength training is some of them will put them on like things for like 15 reps some of them will you know you'll get nordic hamstring curls in some of them and you'll get like more machine based, more barbell based. So it's like, first of all, we need to like focus on like some standardized exercises that we're doing. And then when you're following a college athlete around, like what are they doing the rest of their time outside of the study? Like there's going to be influencing factors there too. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, you're, you're right. There's not, I don't think there's enough good research in that area. And I don't even know how you would go about doing it. It would be difficult. Yeah. I mean, Maybe that's something for you to work on for oh, a PhD yeah, right. down the road. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit more about what you were doing at Temple. You said you had done kind of a literature review mm-hmm. um, in this realm. Tell me a little bit more about that stuff. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I think I got it's been a while since I looked back at my actual, you know, the, the, the literature review I did. But I looked at, it was mainly, so the main thing I was looking at was strength training. I, I wanted to look at strength training for runners on injury risk reduction. But there just wasn't a lot out there. It's it's like all over the place. So, but I did find some stuff on on injury uh, or performance based, you know, measures improving running economy. Um, and there is a trend in that direction. Like it seems like again, it's it's beneficial for performance. Um, but again, the research is you know there's not standardization of of strength. Like some people are doing more machine based stuff. Some people are doing more bar ba- barbell based stuff. So it's kind of hard like to know you know, what would be the, 
prescription yeah. of strength. And I have what I would do as my own biases. Um, but, like, truly, like, if I'm going to take research and implement it, I'd have to do exactly what they did in the study. And I'd have to control as many confounding factors because they're it's it's difficult just to be like, oh, yeah, so strength training is beneficial. I read it in the study, and now I'm going to give you guys my own exercises. Yeah, and that's where it gets to, like, people will say – people forget – when you look at a study – the study doesn't say at a at a true basic level the study doesn't say that strength training is beneficial yeah the study says that they did this and they saw this yep and that does not speak on an entire training method or modality yeah and it's just like you are watching what happens when you do some stuff differently with some people from the other people. Yep. And yeah, like you can't necessarily take some of that stuff and then say, oh, well, strength training is good. So we're going to back squat. We're going to deadlift. When what the study did for their strength training was, you know, body weight exercises and, and, exactly. and that stuff. Um, the other thing is that, you know, if, if, the, if the study involved squatting, leg press, knee extension, and lunges – that may not reduce the risk of a hamstring strain, but simply a Nordic hamstring curl would mm-hmm. because of the you know the specific exercise, how it's loaded, the magnitude of load, mm-hmm. and obviously the muscle groups involved and, and things of that nature. Yeah. So it does make it difficult when you're trying to parse together, you know, little bits of information from each study mixed with some theory about biomechanics and tissues and uh, trying to fill in the blanks with some of that stuff. But um, that's where you you can't necessarily make strong statements about things. And like you mentioned, a lot of times it does come back to some of your just coaching experience and thinking, well, this is what I've done and this is what it's, what has worked with some of my clients. And, and that's kind of what you're relying on a lot of times. It's a lot of anecdote. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what I always kind of come back to because Again, like, the, the more I read into this, the, the less I feel like I know. It's difficult. Um, but, like, whenever – because a lot of times I'll get, like, recreational, like, or individuals who just they, – they just started running and they don't know really what to do. Um, I always kind of just come back to, like, your, your typical physical activity guidelines and just follow, like, if we strength train, you know, <laughs> most major muscle groups two times a week and, and hit the, these markers for aerobic activity, like – and you're doing it with running because you enjoy running – then I think from a health standpoint, you're probably, you know, in the right, going in the right direction. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, you're right with, with the performance-based stuff and, you know, working with a, if you're working with a higher-level runner, you know, you, you do have to realize that there are limitations to, to what is out there in the research. And you have to understand that you do have biases and that they're coming into play when you're prescribing everything that you're doing. Yeah, and reducing injury risk is not the goal for a lot of those guys you know like that's yeah. the thing people forget that the goal of the person sitting in front of you is yeah. different than the your goal for i them. know yeah and it's, it's you so might difficult. be like oh you got a strength train because we need to reduce your risk of injury and the guy's like i don't care if my fucking leg falls <laughs> off i just want to hit the best time i can in this you know ultra marathon yeah and maybe for them the best thing is to increase risk 
be able to train the extra two hours of running so that they can max out their running adaptations because it's just kind of a go for broke type of deal. Yeah. You know, and so a lot of times I think we as providers have a tendency to want to do the thing yeah. that is best for them based on what we think. But injury risk reduction may not be a goal for them. Yeah. It might be the opposite. They're just like, I will do whatever it takes regardless of the risk especially uh, higher higher you know oh, high yeah. level athletes like they don't they're like okay my hamstring hurts but i'm still finishing out this marathon like yeah. i'm in a training block right now i don't give it i don't give a shit about you know reducing right. the pain there i'm gonna get across that finish line yeah and, and that's where you get into maybe some okay that's we set those goals aside in season but then the off season when we don't necessarily need to be at peak performance that's yeah. when you start to include some of that stuff which is where it's important to obviously parse out whether it's the training or the adaptation of strength that, that d- makes the biggest impact. Because then you're like, okay, do I need to implement this even during their lead up? Or can strength training just be an off-season thing where right. I get fairly strong and then I just coast for three months and then I'll pick back up where I left off afterwards? Um but you've mentioned on a few separate occasions, like the axial loading, yeah. uh, the the bone loading. When whenever you have a patient come into you at the clinic or a client come to you with an injury, um, are there certain injuries where you think that strength training is particularly valuable, or your readiness to implement it is higher than others? So, for example, if someone comes to you with you know an ankle sprain and you're like oh my god like you're not strength training that's why you got the ankle sprain (laughs) versus someone comes to you with a stress fracture maybe you're thinking hmm this is much more preventable based on what i know in terms of the strength training adaptations yeah there's certain injuries for you so ankle sprain i've sprained my ankle i don't know my right ankle a billion times and i strength train i don't think that that really matters Stress injury, stress fracture, which I haven't, as a newer clinician, I haven't had to like rule out yet. And I'm at a hospital-based system, so they're, you know, they're not, we're not seeing people direct access. Um, but for stress injuries, yes, that's where we want to talk about, you know, lo- you know, providing a different axial load than just simply running, because we are going to, you know, we obviously want to load the bone and, and cause the bone to adapt. Um, so making sure that we're, we're doing things to prevent that, because that definitely is preventable. Um, but also, at the same time, it's not just about strength training for them, because if we're thinking about something like REDS, we, we want to make sure that we have a multidisciplinary approach, or we are going to do these people a disservice. Like, if there, if there's some dietary things going on, yeah. if there's some hormonal things going on, then they need to be addressed by another healthcare professional, in addition to, you know, us having an active role in their recovery and and making sure that they're they're doing physical activities that are going to build a stronger bone but yeah for for the stress injury and and knowing what where the the bone stress injury is like is it in a high risk area like you know a femoral neck fracture like that that could potentially lead to something worse down the down the road so we need to make sure we look out for things like that yeah yeah is there are there any other types of injuries just more broadly that you have a higher likelihood of really wanting to implement strength training for someone coming to you with? Tendinopathy. Tendinopathy. <laughs> yeah. All right, dive into that a little bit more. Yeah, so, I mean, you, you with runners, you're going to see your patellar tendinopathy and you're going to see your Achilles tendinopathy. Um, 
which honestly the research on tendinopathy like you know you could specialize in just that so i'm not going to pretend that i'm the expert on tendinopathy but you know uh, you know you have obviously eccentric loading you have isometrics for you know the pain analgesic effects or the pain reducing effect um and then you have you know uh slow heavy slow resistance so with somebody with a, a tendinopathy if they're running um obviously running is if it's an Achilles tendinopathy um running is a low-level plyometric activity. We already kind of know that tendons don't really love quick, you know, contractions from, from the actual muscle group. Uh, so implementing, you know, heavy, slow resistance training for for something like, you know, with like calf raises and, and soleus, seated soleus calf raises. Um, and there's building the capacity up and then, you know, teaching the individual about irritability and how to work within, you know, that kind of framework. Um, over a longer period of time and then slowly building back and running. I would definitely try to do that just to increase the capacity of the of the tendon to handle load. So that's an interesting one because I don't think that, say someone comes to you and doesn't have an Achilles tendinopathy, right? Yeah. They're perfectly healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would be hard-pressed to look at most strength training programs and see calf raises as a part of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is that something that you would actually implement for a runner who's incorporating some strength training as a preventative measure for Achilles tendinopathy? Like, are you programming calf raises? Um, yeah, I, I actually, I, I did them for niche. Uh, I, I do them for myself now, you know, and it's interesting because like I look at it, I'm like, oh yeah, you should do some calf work. But at the same time, like running is doing calf work. Like, and I think Greg Lehman, he, he, cause he, I was listening to a podcast and he was like, well, if you want it to, you know, reduce like the incidence of tendinopathy, like Achilles tendinopathy, well, you would just gradually build up your running. And I think that's probably enough to make sure that we're building up a strong calf. Cause like, again, like the said principles, you know, we want to make sure we're specific. And if, you know, if you're not running, then you're not building up the capacity to run. So, um, being smart with our running is probably going to be the, the thing to do first and foremost. And I think it's just my bias to want to put in some extra calf work. I don't, yeah, you know, I mean, I also think that to simplify it and, and be so reductionist with yeah. it is, is a mistake too. Like you are over like for Greg's side, like you're overestimating just how clear the picture is in terms of human physiology and its adaptations to stress yeah like you don't know everything the science does not know what is the the variation in tendon remodeling based on the stress that is imposed on it if you know the answer to that sure you could answer the question of do we need to do this or do we just need to ramp our running up in in an isolation yeah probably that's going to be important obviously right but to say that you shouldn't include a calf raise or some kind of heavier load thing i think that's just for the for how low cost it is to do six sets of calf raises per week Mm -hmm. to me it's it's a thing where hey we know strength training is valuable in almost every other you know injury risk reduction paradigm that we have Mm -hmm. why would we not do it just because we want to plant our flag in the sand and say like no only need to you know appropriately dose my running to me I, I look at that sometimes and i'm like yeah come on guys just do some fucking calf raises go, go over to barbell medicine too mike amato put it an awesome piece up like a quick read on on the importance of of calf training uh so i think that's a it's a great place to start and like you said 
I include it, you know, and I, I don't think if we had, if I had the answer to like the, like the exact, like what goes on physiologically to, you know, and all of the, you know, multifactorial nature of like adaptations, you know, I'd be the world's greatest PT. But again, <laughs> nobody has all those answers. Yeah. Nobody has it all figured out. If we did, we wouldn't have to be sitting here talking about it. We'd just be implementing it. Right? That's fair. <laughs> yeah. um, any, anything else that you feel like folks should know if they are listening to this and they're about to start implementing some strength training uh, into their running program or some running into their strength training program? Any like last pieces of advice? Yeah, I mean, um, if you feel comfortable doing it on your own, go in, start small. You don't have to even, you know, you can start with the empty barbell and slowly progress over time. Get proficient with the movement and then build over time. You know, you we, you know, we want to be in this for the long haul. I would love to see everybody do this. You know, in up until their 80s, whatever you enjoy doing, I want to see you do it over the long haul. Um, the other thing is, if you're not comfortable, seek out a coach. Have somebody coach you through these movements. I hear that there's some great people at Precision Performance <laughs> <laughs> nice. who can do that. Um, so you know, you know, never feel like you know you you have to be doing this entire thing on your own. There are very, very, there's very valuable resources out there. Um, you know, seek them out. Um, and yeah, again, just progress over time. Cool. Yeah. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch with you or find you, social media, email, stuff like that, um, where can they get a hold of you? So for my Instagram account, you can go over to the, to the Robust Runner um, at Instagram. Uh, you could also email me at the robust runner at gmail.com as well um yeah and then i have a, a website too which is again just to reiterate the robust runner.com cool um <laughs> yeah so if anyone has any questions for dan or, or you're interested in coaching or in, you have an injury whatever the case may be uh get in touch with him um otherwise you guys can you know find me at max on instagram um or email me at max at precisionperformancept.com And we appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you guys in the next one. Peace. Later. Thank you for listening to the Training Room Talk podcast. We hope today's discussion was helpful in illuminating some of the complexities behind pain and rehab. If you don't know where to go from here, please reach out to us with questions. We have mentorship options for clinicians and students and programming options for you to elevate your own fitness. We look forward to speaking with you. And again, hope you enjoyed today's discussion.